Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hello there and welcome to the Times Business Podcast where we look ahead to some of the key events at least that will occupy markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. So we'll be taking the temperature on Wall Street and the final furlong of the race for the White House. We'll be asking what comfort or indeed otherwise investors can take from the current company earnings season. And finally, we'll be kissing one massive Tesla fan about what Elon Musk is really aiming for, an earthbound electric car or Mars. I'm joined in the studio by Alexandra Freen, Times Business Columnist, and yes, she is the massive Tesla fan, Catherine Griffith, our banking editor, and on the line from New York is James Dean, US Business Editor of The Times. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. James, I want to start with you. We played an extract from Twitter last week that seemed to sum up the debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and this particular race seems to have become an insult-laden slugfest, and really no substantial mention of the economy at all. Anyway, you can make your own minds up. Here's that clip in full. 33,000 emails. False. Special prosecutor. Temperament. Lied. Lied. Fact-checking. 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 Jail. No. ISIS. ISIS. Women. Locker room talk. Veto power. Subpoena. And on Twitter. And so ends the wild and woolly presidential debate. James, off the back of that, what's the feeling on Wall Street as we do get closer to polling day? Um, I don't know. I don't think anyone was really caring that much at the moment. I think in the lead up, there's uh, we've already had the slanging matches in the debates. All three are now done. It's uh, it's less than two weeks until election day, November the eighth. I mean, I suppose economists don't seem, or well, few economists anyway, don't seem all that concerned about the results. They see positive and negatives from from either 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 candidate winning for example you know donald trump's supposed pledge to absolutely slash corporate taxes will benefit quite a few and you know some companies are scared about hillary clinton's supposed crackdown on wall street excess and also her pledges to beef up the competition departments at the department of justice and and other organizations as well so it kind of swings and roundabouts, really. Um, I mean, in terms of where the election's headed from now on in, there's uh, there's always this spectre over the next 10 days or so of um, what might come out of the Clinton emails next. Um, we get regular leaks every day from, from uh, every day or two from WikiLeaks. Um, who knows? They might be saving up a bombshell for the week before. That might have an impact on markets, but it's a, it's a kind of more of a wait-and-see thing, I think. James, I'd like to just leap in here. I certainly think from everybody I spoke to on Wall Street... 
definitely did not want Donald Trump to win. They may not be big Hillary fans, they may be big Hillary fans, but the point, the impression I got was they, they felt she's very much the devil they know, and because of that they'd rather stick with her. I think, you know, nobody would be safe with Donald Trump. I think there's a lot of fear amongst the comfy, comfortable establishment that Donald, that no one is, would be safe under Donald Trump. You know, on the Federal Reserve, he has promised to take an axe to them, to have a go at them. And, and I think some economists are very worried about that. I think some would welcome it, but uh, a lot wouldn't. And I, I think it's just the disruptive element that, that has got a lot of people very worried. I happen to think that Donald Trump's going to lose by a wide margin, so they shouldn't be leaving any, losing any sleep over it. But um, certainly, certainly near term, if Donald Trump was to win, which, is, again, as you say, is unlikely, um, there would be a lot of disruption. But I think, as a, the, the economists were talking about earlier, they, they were thinking maybe a... A longer term, there might be some positivity there, and they weren't slashing their forecasts in the event of a Trump win. But yes, I think Clinton, first of all, is more likely to win. I think um, 538, the kind of popular pollsters, they have her at about 85% chance of a win, and Trump at 15 at the moment. So that's quite a broad gap, certainly broader than leave and remain before Brexit. Oh, just a final note. Uh, this is Catherine Griffiths. I'm actually astonished by how many of the big Wall Street banking chief execs su- actively support Hillary. Um, I'm not, maybe not astonished, in fact, but I suppose in terms of sort of the way we would in this country see a, a divide between the left and the right. But I mean, certainly Lloyd Blankfein at Goldman Sachs and Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan are big Hillary fans. So that obviously feeds into the sort of positivity around her. And I think also um, in the tech community, you know, most, there's been one or two notable exceptions, uh, Peter Thiel being the PayPal co-founder being one of them, but most of the tech community has come out um, very loudly and uh, proudly for Hillary. What was the reaction on on Wall Street as more and more of the, uh, James, the entrenched Republican figures such as, I mean, I'm thinking here in particular of Colin Powell actually came out to support Hillary Clinton's bid. Uh, You say it's, that's the sort of way it's feeling, but was there a surprise at that? These are senior figures. Can I just interject? Uh, I think Colin Powell's supported the Democrat for the last three presidential elections. So it would have been more surprising if he if he'd actually supported his own party. If he'd come out and supported. I mean, Alex, apart from the vitriol you've observed both as US business editor, James's predecessor and, and uh, Wash- being a correspondent in Washington, is there something that is different about this race apart from, as I say, the vitriol, or is it pretty much been business as normal in US politics? No, it's completely different, and it's different in the same way that the Brexit referendum was different. This is the world saying to all of us, you know, wake up, you know, get out of your little bubble and take a look around at what's happening to everybody, not just those in the um, capital cities of the world who are doing very nicely. And it's a big wake-up call to everybody. Do you get that feeling, James, having arrived there now? I'm in a small bubble of New York, so obviously heavily Democrat here. Um, Everyone thinks Hillary's going to win in the same way that everybody in London thought that we were going to stay, that the UK was going to stay in the European Union. Um, It's probably not representative here of the wider feeling. But um, yes, I certainly think that after Brexit, even Brexit's a big, big thing um, for the news agenda here, not just corporate, but also, um, also just national news. It's a big deal. It's, you know, what are these Brits doing? So that, in a weird way, was actually a wake-up call for the US. So they got to kind of, I don't know, they got to figure out a bit earlier than we did that perhaps it's not 
much use listening to what's going on only in the big cities. And yeah, you do have to look further afield. Well, let's hope their markets and their fund managers are presumably over there in the United States better prepared for a shock result than they were over here post-Brexit, I would have thought, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd agree. Well, looking slightly back and moving on to the current earnings season, let me start with you, Catherine. Over here, we've we've heard from the banks and we've heard from the big banks that you also look at in America. Any, first of all, any surprises within your within the financial sector? They've all had quite a good story to tell, which is in itself quite surprising in the banking sector since the financial crisis. But I think it's very much one set of results and... The banks like, say, Barclays have benefited from weaker sterling, which, you know, you might think is actually maybe not going to go that much that much further down. So could this be a kind of a fairly flash in the pan phenomenon, I think, is one thing. And actually, banking chief executives with any kind of sense um, will will say that this is one quarter's worth of results. And so we will have to see in the longer term. But The other thing about banks, they've all been asked about Brexit, and of course that's fair enough because they're a massive barometer on the economy, but this is incredibly, incredibly short term. I mean, we're we're just a few months in. It seems to me that it's meaningless, really. It's about what the banks or anyone else is seeing this time next year or this time in two years or something like that that will really show the impact of Brexit in terms of companies making decisions about investing in this country and how that feeds through to people's actual lives and their jobs and their spending. So there's an awful lot of focus on it at the moment, but it's largely irrelevant. Over there in the United States, James, what's your view? I mean, we've seen, first of all, looking at the financial sector, I mean, they all seem in reasonably good shape, aren't they? The big banks over here, so, you know, your your JP Morgan-sized banks, um, they've actually done fairly well on the markets post-Brexit, mainly because of the, the volatility. They've managed to up their trading profits quite significantly. It's again, though, so it's, it's, it's too early, they say. It's, it's a wait-and-see sort of thing. You know, we've had threats from the banks to pull staff out of London. None of them have gone through with it yet, as far as I know. So um, it's, just, it's just a wait-and-see where, you know, Theresa May gets on negotiations over free movement, passporting rights and all that sort of thing. There's just too many unknowns to actually make any decisions at the moment. But they must have to soon. It always struck me. I mean, we've, we've talked about Nissan over here. We talked about the results. I mean, Glaxo as well, not just in the financial, has benefited by a billion pound a bonus from this from the fallout from Brexit. But in the United States, it seems to me, I mean, in the sort of more representative S&P, Standard & Poor's 500 index, a lot of companies have actually been beating expectations, haven't they? Yeah, it, it was all going quite well up until the end of last week. I mean, as I said, the banks did very well. All the big banks did well, apart from Wells Fargo, because it's struggling with a mis-selling scandal at the moment. But um, it's uh, there's been some signs this week that it's not all rosy. We've had um, in Apple, which is the world's biggest company, has reported another slide in iPhone sales, another slide in revenue. So um, it hasn't done. It, it did roughly as well as analysts were expecting in terms of its earnings. But I just think overall, they, you know, investors are thinking that the company might not be able to, you know solidify its position as you know maybe the world's biggest company maybe the world's most dominant um smartphone seller um this is obviously because over time um people have bought smartphones you know it's not a new thing for everyone the smartphone market is quite saturated in the west but anyway i mean looking looking more widely um yeah i mean you've got example uh, the start of this week you had goldman sachs uh, which had generally been quite um generally been quite positive has just actually lowered its um forecast for the S&P 500 for 2016 and for next year as well. 
So it doesn't think that the tech companies are, are doing well enough. It doesn't think that financial companies are doing well enough. Yeah, so we, we'll, obviously there's some more results to come in over the next uh, week or two. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's a mixed picture at the moment. I think that um, there's some very strange things going on. I mean, for example, kind of consumer spending is at some sort of weird levels that no one can really explain given the kind of huge uncertainties out there. Um, certainly the banks don't really understand. I mean, they're quite happy for people to be using their credit cards to go and splash their cash on the high street but they don't really understand it they don't think it's rational and I think there's an expectation that that will that will come right down but of course it will only really happen when people start to feel worried about their jobs and things in terms of Brexit planning uh, the big US banks have thousands and thousands and thousands of employees here in the UK and they want to keep them here if they possibly can do but they also don't want to lose out on doing business in the States so actually in the next few weeks couple of months some big decisions will be made about that kind of thing and we will start to see business moving into continental Europe but it, it probably won't be kind of you know JP Morgan moves its entire European operation to wherever it might be it will be it'll be incremental over time you'll get you'll get the final answer on Brexit but it won't be clear for really quite a long time. I think Catherine's right. And it's it's interesting she mentioned strong consumer spending and it's rather puzzling. Consumer borrowing is, is pretty robust right now and that's another a puzzle. You might think people would be a lot more worried, but it is it is all going to come out in the wash um, over the next two years. And when, once we see the, the impact on jobs in the financial services sector, I t- I've been speaking to a lot of um, tech bosses in London the last few weeks since arriving back from New York and they, you know, they will tell me half their... S- developers are British the other half are not and of those remaining at least 30 35 percent come from Europe usually Eastern Europe and they don't know where they're going to keep keep topping up that talent pool from if people are deterred from coming well I suspect it's a subject as you both say we'll be returning to time and time again we're going to take a short break now and when we return we'll take a quick trip to Mars the Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk is well known for perhaps two things in particular, his electric Tesla cars and his ambition to fly to Mars, as you do. This is what he said about the distant planet and earthly contact. What I really want to try to achieve here is to make Mars seem possible, uh, make it seem as though it's something that we can do in our lifetimes. Alex, as we already said, you're a huge fan of uh, Elon Musk. And uh, I have to say, Tesla's uh, first quarterly profit that they just announced first in more than three years. So has he finally achieved one leg of his ambition, i.e. that he's got electric cars well established or is there still a long way to go? No, he hasn't. Don't be don't be deluded by those quarterly profits. You know, a lot of the profit, 130 million, 139 million of it came from selling carbon credits to other car makers and he's not going to be able to repeat that in another quarter. So, you know, it's good to see him doing well. Building cars is really, really hard and it's very difficult for a company to do that from scratch. 
it's why I think that the big car makers will be the ones that survive in the race to make autonomous vehicles and the tech companies will have to partner with the, with the car makers if they want. It's, co- it's a complex process. That said, the world needs people like Elon Musk. He's not just trying to make electric cars desirable and a mass product. He's trying to invent a new way for storing sustainable energy in the home. He's making these batteries that no one had thought possible before. He's trying to convert solar energy into a power source that we can use all year round. He's trying to you know, improve transport along the west coast of the United States. He's trying to take people to Mars. He's a big ideas man. And he he does more than just talk. He he reads books. He goes and finds the people who know how... You you ask Elon Musk, how do you do this stuff? He just says, I read a lot of books and then I talk to the people that know things and then I do stuff. And we need these dreamers and these visionaries who also have an ability to execute. And in a sense... I don't really care if all of his business ventures fail because ultimately he'll have given us a big push towards these ideas and mankind needs people like this. Would you agree, James? Is that your view? I think Elon Musk gets away with a lot of BS, as they call it in the States. Um, I mean, Silicon Valley is well known for, for riding on a wave, wave of hyperbole the whole time, and he is absolutely no exception. Um, he loves making grandiose statements about, you know, we've heard about plans to go to Mars. He may well get there. Um, maybe I'm just too cynical. But a lot of the time, especially with Tesla, when it comes down to the nitty gritty and he talks about production forecasts and, um, yeah, exactly how many cars he's looking to build, they fall short. You know, his company falls short so many times that you wonder whether it's a viable business. You also wonder, as Alex has alluded to, whether he is just one of these guys who is, you know, full of ideas. He's a creative guy and he wants to just spend all of the money he made from PayPal on doing crazy projects. And he'll probably die a happy man for it, even if they all fail. So I agree with Alex in as much as, you know, we need people like this. I'm not so sure about the actual uh, underlying business, you know, the underlying um, quality of the businesses that he has. James, it's Alex here. I don't think any of us really know that yet. It's too early. You know, people said about Jeff Bezos of Amazon a lot of what you've you've just said about Elon Musk. And uh, so far, he's proving everybody wrong. Um, But the thing about Elon Musk is, you know, electric cars, they were like these horrible Priuses that weren't even electric. They were hybrids. They weren't nice cars to look at. And he made a desirable vehicle. I don't know if you know anyone who's got a Tesla. I've got a handful of friends with him. They're such lovely things to have. And he's somebody needed to do that. Somebody needed to put the desire into the market. And if he can produce a successful mass market version of his uh, Model S, then I think I think he will have shifted the market. And okay, he might uh, BS, but although you say he's full of hyperbole, but he delivers all his big statements in this wonderfully understated, very downbeat voice, which I always find very amusing. But I think he's shifted people's thinking, and I think that's really important. I think absolutely the the key is going to be in the Tesla Model 3. This is the affordable mass market car, although by affordable, it's not going to be affordable for everyone. It's going to be, from memory, looking about... Thirty thousand pounds, or possibly more now that uh, the uh, the value of the pounds fallen. But I, I drove, a, I've driven a Tesla Model S before, and they are fantastic cars. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It was a relatively new Tesla Model S. It, I think it cost somewhere like uh, about a hundred thousand pounds, so it wasn't cheap. You know, this is a high end car. 
Um, the problem we've had with a lot of the Model S's and Model X's, although not across the board, is the reliability. We also haven't seen quite how well these cars are going to fare into really old age because we, you know, the battery, no battery has been tested for, you know, no lithium-ion battery has been tested for 10 years straight. So there's still a lot of questions to be answered. But yeah, I think the key is absolutely going to be in the, the Model 3 and um, the success of that. Well, we'll keep a lookout for that. Well, thank you all very much. And that's just about it for now. But uh, don't forget, if you want to read about those, and other stories as they break you'll find them online at times.co.uk you'll also find us a special subscription offer there if you haven't got one that's for one pound so do check into that and if you want to hear us weekly you can subscribe through itunes and please do feel free to post your reviews my thanks to alexandra freen and Catherine griffiths in london and of course james dean in new york they're all on twitter so you know what to do follow them please thanks for listening we'll be back next week 